Thank you for singing. Brought back memories of my childhood, and I hope um, it did for you as well. Uh, Roy sends his greetings. He's preaching at um, the Asian church um, today, and uh, we've split up the kids, and so Micah went with, went with him and Josh is with me. Um, and you won't see Roy for a few weeks because um, next uh, week, on, I think on Wednesday, Roy's flying to the U.S. Um, to attend an urban uh, ministry conference um, so he'll be there for a couple of weeks, and then he'll come back. Um, so it'll be me and the kids, so feel free to help me as in the next few weeks um, as I preach, and the kids will, will be um, orphans for a little bit. This week was quite a momentous week in Australian politics. As I'm sure you have all heard, we have a new prime minister. I've been in Australia for six years, and I have had we have had a change, five changes in prime ministers in that time, which is incredible because in America you have one for like four, sometimes eight years. And so um, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around how everything works because I'm going to be voting because I'm a citizen now uh, next year or whenever they call the elections. And so big week. Now, I noticed that um, when Malcolm Turnbull was making his farewell you know, speech on TV, that towards the end, he picked up his grandchild, Alice, and I, um, apparently his grandson, uh, Jack, was also like running around and roaring in the background, which is what kids do. And I was looking at the picture, and I was thinking, this is not just a grandfatherly moment. It's not because he didn't have babysitters, right? This is a very strategic move that politicians make. You've all seen it before. Kissing the baby, right? Holding the baby. It's a photo op. Why is that? I was researching the history of why politicians kiss babies. And apparently it goes back to the 1800s and even before that, that even in the Roman Empire times, that politicians would, you know, take the children and, you know, and, and, and show that they are, I guess, approachable to children, that children like them, and that there's someone that, who can be trusted with children. And apparently um, in the Middle Eastern you know, cultures as well, it's a custom for the elders to kind of bless the children. And so if you are an important person, you get to bless the child. Okay, So there is kind of this history of blessing children. And today we have a very special occasion where we get to have um, a dedication service for Simon. But, you know, it's not just about blessing Simon. It is, it is about making sure that we pray for him and that we ask God to bless him. But a dedication service is is not like an infant baptism, for example. Um, in some churches where they do infant baptisms, the child is basically being um, brought into, inducted into the membership of that church. And it kind of seals that child's salvation. You know, that once that baby is baptized, it is now part of that church and it's going to go to heaven. You know, and so, but that's not what we're doing today. When we do a child dedication service, what it really is doing is saying to the parents and to the church community, are you willing to dedicate yourself to raising and supporting this child to grow up to love God? Because that child will have to make that decision for himself one day. And are you going to do everything in your power to support and nurture that child and cultivate the environment that the child grows up in so that he or she can make that decision for themselves one day? And so the dedication service is really a time for Lily and her mom and us as a church community to say, we dedicate ourselves to you, God, and we commit ourselves to this child. It's a serious calling because we're called to represent 
Jesus to Simon and to love Simon and Lily and her whole family so well that as Simon grows up, he can understand the love of God. And I wanted, I, I thought to myself, you know, sometimes, you know, they do the, the prayer for the baby and then the service moves on. But I really wanted the whole service today to be about children because Jesus valued children. They weren't just a footnote. They weren't just a photo op. They mattered to him. And I want us to, to explore how Jesus treated children and what he said about them. And so we're going to be looking at a chapter in the Bible. And if you have your white Bibles. I'm going to have the verse on the screen as well, but I want to show you um, as well in the White Bible. The World Changers Bible uh, that are in your seats. Luke chapter 18, and I'll tell you the page number. It's page number 842. And keep, I want you to keep your finger there because we're going to be looking mainly at this passage, but a couple of others as well. And the, and the verse that is very well known that we're going to be focusing on um, and looking around is Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. So page 842 in your white Bibles. By the way, good news, we're getting more white Bibles. Um, and so there's a special series. So Roy, yes, gets, gets to be away for a few weeks, but trust me, he's got plenty of work to do because when he comes back, he's doing a 12-sermon series. Um, here, September 22nd to October 27th, and the special series is being called See, Seeing with New Eyes, Visiting, Revisiting Common Christian Beliefs. So Seeing with New Eyes, Revisiting Common Christian Beliefs, and he's going to be tackling 12 common beliefs that we hold as Christians or about Christianity that he's actually going to come back and actually present a different angle, different perspective to go back and, and, and look at what does the Bible really say about that. So um, September 22nd to October 27th, we're going to be having, it's six weeks, but he's going to do back-to-back. -back. So instead of discussion time, it's going to be sermon and then another sermon, but we're going to give you free lunch So for those six weeks. So invite your friends um, and, and look forward to the registration that's going to be on, on our website soon. Anyways, back to, back to Luke chapter 18. So Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. This is what it says. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. What is Jesus saying? What does Jesus mean when he says that unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven? Is Jesus saying that we need to have simple-minded faith? That we need to just take things at face value the way that we accept, you know, that the way that children accept Santa Claus and Tooth Fairy, that we should just except there's a God and just whatever he says, just believe. Is that what Jesus is asking for? I don't think so. I think there's a lot more to this. And I, and I want to distinguish uh, what I'm going to be talking about. You know, when we, when we use the word childish, um, it has that negative connotation of kind of being immature. But the word I want to use today is childlike. I want to talk about the positive childlike qualities that Jesus affirms in children and that Jesus wants us to have in order for us to experience 
the kingdom of God. In other words, it's not just heaven he's talking about. The kingdom of God is here and now. What, what we experience when we acknowledge Jesus as the king and lord of our lives, and we live in submission to his authority. And so how do we enter into that relationship and experience with God? What are the childlike qualities, and how can we be like that? Now, whenever you have a question about a passage in the Bible, the first thing you should look to to get your answer is the context of that verse. In other words, what stories or what teachings surround that passage? Okay, So we're going to be looking at the entire chapter of, of 18, looking at the stories that come before and after this particular story to better understand what does it mean to be childlike. So first is the beginning of chapter 18. So there are two parables, just to give you an outline of Luke 18. There are two parables, and then there's three stories. And so the story of the children is right in the middle. And so we've got two parables before that and two stories after that. So let's look. What's the first parable? So if you go to verses 1 to 18 now. It says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now this parable is what is called a contrast parable. In other words, this parable is given to show what God is not like. Okay? So God is saying, hey, this unjust judge, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't care about people. He's very different from God who is loving and kind and merciful. But even he will give in and answer this widow's request because she just keeps on asking and is driving him crazy. So how much more will God answer the prayers of his people? So the first childlike quality that Jesus um, is actually affirming here is perseverance. Perseverance. Now, for those of you who have been around children, you know that children don't give up on what they want to know and what they want to do. I try not to give my kids too much screen time, but this winter season has been really brutal and long. <laughs> It's just been cold and rainy and miserable outside. And the kids have just been picking up one thing after another from childcare and kinder. And uh, a few weeks ago, Joshua had hand, foot, and mouth disease. And so we had to quarantine him at home for like eight days. It was pretty miserable. And so inevitably, I, I let them watch some TV. And um, Joshua's favorite thing to watch is airplanes. There's a DVD of um Cars DVD called Airplanes. He loves it. In fact, even in his sleep, um, on Wednesday, he was sleep talking, and he said, Airplanes. That's how much he loves this. And every morning, you know, that, so that, that was two weeks ago that he was sick, right? And, and then he went back to childhood. He, he got better. But every morning without fail, 
The moment he wakes up, he looks at me and he says, "Video watch airplane?" And I'll say, "No, Joshua, not today." Oh, he says. And then a few hours later, he'll say, "Video watch airplane?" And he doesn't, you know, he's beginning to talk, but these are like his first words, and he's like, "Video watch airplane?" And I'll be like, "No, not today." Oh. And then a few hours later, "Mommy, video watch airplane?" Every day. Every day, it's the same question, and he and he gets rejected, but he keeps on asking. He keeps on asking. Little children will ask you why, and they won't stop asking. Your patience will run out, and your answers will run out before they stop asking why. Jesus says we have to be persistent. Too many times we give up. Too many times we we stop asking. Too many times we stop praying. And and it's not saying that Jesus needs to be begged or bribed or pleaded with. He just wants us to build the kind of faith that endures, to build the kind of faith that has patience and that can withstand difficulties and that consistently believes that God is still good. Right? And that there is a purpose for the things that we are going through, because the Christian walk, following Jesus, is a lifelong commitment. It has ups and downs. It has the mundaneness of daily rituals, as well as the excitement of special moments. It's like marriage, right? Those of you who are married, you don't wake up every morning in love with your partner, right? Sometimes you wake up and you just want to push them off the bed, right? And 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 it's not like you want to, you know, um, every day celebrate your anniversary. You have to work and you have to have other normal everyday life things. But you do want to celebrate your anniversary once a year or special occasions. You do want to go on dates, right? And so there's a balance between the daily kind of rituals and things that make the marriage work, as well as the special moments. And it's the same with our relationship with God. There are the kind of daily disciplines of prayer and Bible study and going to church, even though we'd rather sleep in. Right? You gotta persevere through the oh, I don't want to read my Bible. You have to persevere through the oh, I'd rather sleep in today. Right? And then there's also those special, extraordinary moments with God where you you have that intangible, unexplainable feeling of the presence of God and that experience with God. And so. Because the walk with God is this lifelong commitment, with its ups and downs, and with its、uh, di- disciplines as well as its highs and lows, we have to have perseverance. We have to have endurance for the long haul. And so Jesus says, "Have perseverance. Have that childlike faith." In Proverbs chapter twenty-four, verse sixteen, it says, "The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow." The wicked. In other words, the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous, the saved and the lost, is not that we don't fall. It's not that we don't make mistakes or or that we don't sin. We fall, and and seven, you know, in the Bible is kind of this number of of, of perfection. And so, in other words, we fall completely. Okay, we we trip seven times. We we fall a lot, but we get up again. We get up again because we believe that God is going to help us. We believe that that in that process of falling and getting up, we're we're building our muscles. We're growing. That God is transforming us, and so let's be childlike in our perseverance in our walk with God. 
Here's the second parable that comes in Luke chapter 18. So this is right after the parable of the widow. There is another parable. It says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. In verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, we see a contrast here that the, the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous, the saved and the lost, is not what they do. Okay? Because if it was based on good works, the Pharisee should be righteous. And the tax collector, unrighteous, because a tax collector often in those days was a cheater and a liar and a, you know extortionist, all those things. But that's not what happens. Jesus says, hey, it's not what you do. It's not your good works that saves you. It's your humility. It's your willingness to say, I need Jesus. Because so many times it's easy to say, I'm a good person, right? I don't, I don't hurt others. I try to be kind. I do good things. So I'm a good person. But that attitude of I'm a good person is saying, I don't need God. I don't need a savior. And Jesus is saying, no, you do. Not because you're a bad person, but because only I can make you truly good. Only I can change your heart so that you are truly looking out for others and, and, and serving God from love rather than through other motivations and let's face it even though we do a lot of good there's a lot of bad there's a lot of um envy or anger or addictions or inclinations there's a lot of things happening in our hearts that maybe no one else can see but that's still there and jesus says i don't need you to be perfect I just need you to acknowledge that you need me. And it's that appeal for mercy that makes you righteous. That humility and that recognition that we need God. Right after this parable is then the story of Jesus and the children. And let me read you a different account. So this is Matthew chapter 18 now. In Matthew chapter 18... Matthew records the same kind of interaction that Jesus has with the children. But this time he, he records a slightly different commentary. So listen carefully to the difference. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So here, Matthew gives you um, a clear definition of what Jesus is looking for when he says you have to be like a child. He says you have to be humble as this child. Humility 
is that childlike quality that makes us receptive to change and learning. If we think that we are like the Pharisee, that we know it all, that we don't need any change, that we are good as we are, then we're just as blind and deaf as, as he was. We need to be like a child, depending, wanting to learn, always looking for something new, right? Always willing to absorb something new. And of course, acknowledging that God knows better than we do. I love this picture of Micah when he was two because, you know, that was the age where he's, you know, he's beginning to be independent, but he's still so dependent on us, right? And you can see that look of, of adoration slash emulation of, I want to be like daddy, right? And he's walking and he's, he's looking to see, you know, where's daddy going? And there's this trust that daddy's going to keep me safe. Um, and Joshua's at that age now, and I love this age because he's beginning to learn words. And so, you know, he'll he'll point to things in the book and say, what's that thing? That's how, he, if you hear him say, what's that thing? That's what he's saying. He's saying, what's that thing? And and I tell him, it's, it's, a, it's a bear. And then he'll repeat, bear. And he's starting to talk. He takes my word for it. What if I was telling him something completely wrong, right? And sometimes I do tell him slightly different things because I don't want to tell him what it really is. But, you know... He trusts me implicitly. Whatever I tell him, he accepts, right? He depends on me. He looks up to me, he, and he copies me. He also copies everything Micah does because, you know, to him, Micah's the older brother who knows everything. And so if Micah does something, Joshua will do it. If Micah says something, then Joshua will say it, right? He's, he's, he's his little um, shadow. And there is that children have that that. that um, that trust, little children, right, I'm talking about. Little children have that trust that this, this adult, this parent is teaching me, and I want to learn, and I want to absorb, and I want to grow. Jesus wants us to submit to his authority willingly, not with reluctant defeatism, but with trust and with delight, knowing that he will keep us safe on this journey, no matter how scary it seems, right? Here's Joshua, you know, going down a sand dune with Roy. He, he, he knows he can't go down by himself. And so what, what he, he did was he climbed, Roy was doing with Micah and Joshua was with me. Because this is when Joshua was like one, maybe not even. He couldn't even walk, I think, back, back then. But Joshua all of a sudden went over to Roy and sat on his lap. Because he's saying, I, I know I can't do this, but I trust you, Daddy. Take me. So then Roy went down and, you know, look at the delight on his face. that He's having a great time. Because he trusts in his dad. And submission to God's authority doesn't have to be this, ah, fine, God, I will obey. And, and great, I'm going to suffer. It, no, submission to God is that delight and that trust. All right, God, this seems scary. I don't know how to do this, but I trust you. You take me for the ride. You'll keep me safe. You'll provide for me. That's humility, acknowledging that God knows better, acknowledging that God is more powerful, acknowledging that God has our best interest at heart, that he's going to keep us safe. He's going to provide for us. So in addition to being persistent, let's be childlike in our humility and acknowledgement that we need Jesus. After the two parables and after the story of the interaction with the uh, children, there's two other stories that we'll briefly look at. 
Because notice how after this um, parable, Jesus kind of repeatedly says, who's, who's going to be part of this kingdom? And here's a, here's a, a story of a young man who is asking that same question. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Now I want to clarify, Jesus is not saying it's not that it's bad to be rich. Not at all. He's not, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying it's difficult when your ide personal identity is so bound up with your possessions. It's difficult to put God first because they have that much to give up. And, and, and when the people are like, well, then who can be saved? Because in that time and age, they thought that the rich were the blessed of God, right? And so they're saying, well, if they don't make it or if it's difficult for them, then who? And God says, hey, with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Because God is the initiator. God is the one that is able to make himself so desirable that we will choose him above all else. This story this of this young, some call it the rich young ruler, is a bit different from the Pharisee that we saw in the previous uh, parable. Because while the Pharisee thought that he was in need of nothing, at least this young ruler recognizes that there's something missing, right? He has everything, and he's, he's a good guy. Like he, he says, I've kept all the commandments, and I help others, and he, he's a good person. But he senses something is still missing. So he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's something still missing here. And he doesn't realize that he's asking the wrong question. Because like the Pharisee, he's still saying, what must I do? And Jesus is a little cheeky here. Instead of straight up saying you're asking the wrong question, Jesus says, all right, I'll play along with this. If you're asking me what you must do, I'll tell you what you must do. You have to sell what you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now that sounds very challenging. But Jesus is not asking for a test of works here. What he's doing is pointing out in his, kind of probing his heart, right? Testing his heart to, to let that rich young ruler know that his priority in life was not God, but his riches. And if that rich young ruler had at that moment knelt down and said, Jesus, I can't. I love my riches too much. I like my comfort too much. I depend on my security too much. What you're asking from me is too hard. Help me 
help me because I can't, I don't want to. If he had said that, Jesus would have embraced him and said, let's work on it together. Let me help you work through that. But he didn't have the humility to say, I can't do it. Instead, he just turns around and walks away. You see, Jesus is not interested in us doing more good works. But he does challenge us to answer the question, who has first priority? What has first priority in your life? Where is your fundamental allegiance? Where is your security? Jesus does not ask us to be perfect, but he asks us to want him. He asks us to acknowledge that we cannot change ourselves, that we are selfish and self-interested, that it doesn't come naturally for us to serve God and put him first. So he wants us to recognize our need for him and come to him and follow him. Because remember the disciples that were following Jesus? They weren't perfect. They fought each other all the time. They wanted to be number one. They wanted to be on the right hand of Jesus when he finally became king. Right? They're looking out for their self-interest. They're just as probably obsessed with possessions as this young man. But the difference was they didn't try to be perfect before following him. They said, Jesus, we have left all. This is Simon Peter. This is um, whom Lily named her son after. Simon Peter said, See, we have left all to follow you. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, Jesus affirms that the Simon and the other disciples who followed Jesus they didn't really leave everything behind, right? He, he asked them to leave everything behind, but it's that willingness. Practically speaking, they didn't leave everything. They went back to fishing several times and, you know, et cetera. They saw their family. But what Jesus is saying is, are you willing to put me first? Are you willing to make me number one and trust that I'm going to provide for you and trust that I'm going to do what's best for you? And so these disciples, as, as flawed as they were, they did one thing right, which was, they trusted Jesus. They didn't have it all worked out, but they trusted Jesus. And as they followed Jesus during those three and a half years, and even after the death and resurrection, Jesus worked with them to shape them into people who finally then could leave everything to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus and to share Jesus with the world. But it took time. Jesus promises that when we prioritize him, he will both provide both now and in the future. And I have experienced that so many times in my life. You know, I, I didn't always want to be a pastor. I grew up um, wanting to pursue other things. But when I made the decision that I'm, I was going to go into ministry, and I went at, at the time, it felt like such a big sacrifice. Um, my I remember my best friend, so I, I went to Princeton University, and you know, all my friends were graduating and, and going on to make a lot of money. Um, and I remember one, and, and while they were making a lot of money, I was, I was uh, Bible working in New York City at a church. And I remember my best friend was telling me about her Christmas bonus. And her Christmas bonus was more than my entire yearly salary. 
<laughs> and I was living in New York City, which meant all my money went to rent. <laughs> and so I was, I was, I was, the, there's a reason why there's uh, the expression poor as a church mouse, right? Um, and I remember in that kind of pivotal moment where I was deciding, do I go into full-time ministry? Because at the time it was just like a one-year, two-year Bible working thing. Or do I do something else and support my family who, who, who needs financial security? And when I had to make that decision, I remember it, felt, it, felt, it, was, it was difficult. But you know what? It's been over 10 years since I made that decision. And I feel so abundantly blessed. I'm not rich by any standards. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not rich by, by like Melbourne standards probably. But I am so rich in the world standards. I've got a warm home. I keep the heater on 24-7, right? Um, you're shaking your head, but I, I get cold and the kids get cold. <laughs> you know, I've got food. I can Uber. I can menu log. I can, you know, I can get groceries. I can... Um, I have a car, you know, I've got so many things that are luxuries to so many people around the world. But, but I, it's not even compared to people in, you know, starving countries. I live so well. I have everything that I could have ever wanted. There's, there's nothing that I want that I don't already have. And I've just seen God bless us over and over again. And I'm just so grateful. And I, I've never regretted a single decision I have ever made where I have prioritized God. He has always given more than I've ever given up. So let's cultivate that childlike quality of trusting in God and prioritizing him, trusting that he's going to provide for us. Little children, Micah and Joshua, they don't wake up worrying about how they're going to pay the rent or worrying about their next meal. They know I'm going to provide for them, right? In fact, they're kind of taking it for granted and I have to remind them to say thank you, you know, because they're just like, where's my breakfast? I'm like, excuse me, you know, <laughs> do you know children? I'm not to go on this rant, but you know, they don't worry because they know that all, everything will be provided for. We worry so much and yet we have a heavenly father who has said, don't worry, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. So let's have that childlike quality of trust. Finally, Luke 18 ends with a story of someone who is very different from the rich young ruler and is very much like the children that Jesus affirmed. It reads, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road, and when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. You see this blind beggar, he persevered. He shouted louder and louder despite people trying to shush him, right? He just kept asking. And he humbled himself and he acknowledged that it's not because he deserved healing, but because he needed it that he asked for healing. He was appealing to Jesus' mercy and not showing his own merits. And he trusted that Jesus could heal him. And so he did. We have in this blind beggar all the childlike qualities exemplified. 
And, and not only did it result in his own healing and salvation, but it resulted in everyone around him praising God. Praising God. And I believe that this is what Jesus is calling all of us to experience today. To have that persevering faith. To have that humble acknowledgement that we need God. And that faith and trust that God will provide for us. And as we live our lives with those childlike qualities, the people around us in Melbourne will see that God is good. Will taste that God is good. Lily, I'm going to ask you to come up to the front and bring Simon with you, please. Today, Lily is dedicating herself to cultivating these childlike, Christ-like qualities in Simon. And, you know, she chose the name Simon, she told me, because Simon Peter in the Bible had a hot temper. But after knowing Jesus, he became a changed person. Um, and so she wanted Simon to have that transformation of character. And I don't know about you, but every time I see Simon, he's calm and beautiful and gentle. <laughs> um, yeah, no, come in. You can stand with her if you'd like. And, you know, Lily, I just want to say Simon is so blessed to have a mom like you. For those of you who might not know Lily, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> um, Lily first came to us several years ago. In fact, Shane, who did the lovely welcome, Shane and Lily went to high school together. And so Shane one day brought Lily to church and said, oh, this is my friend from high school. And so we got to know each other. And Lily was this fun, bubbly, happy, interesting person who was doing amazing, cool things. Like her specialty is something like only she can do. And, you know, um, she was like going to like pottery classes or painting classes. Anyway, she was like, I was like, at the time I had Micah, he was a baby. And I was like, wow, Lily's got this wonderful free life, you know. And then um, Lily, you know, was coming to church and she said, I want to get baptized. And um, so we were delighted and we started baptismal studies. And then she got this call from Shanghai to go to this hospital and work there. And um, so off she went for a couple of years. And so we missed her very much. But she came back. She came back as a mom. And I saw this change in, in you, Lily, that I was so amazed by. Because you're such a good mom. And I don't know if you've, ever, if, if you've observed Lily around Simon, but there's this, this love that exudes out of Lily towards Simon. You can just see it. You don't see that from me all the time with my kids. You see anger and like, and um, a lot of yelling. But but Lily, <laughs> but Lily has this gentle love and devotion that just comes out of her. And you know, it, I know I know it hasn't been easy for you, moving back to Melbourne, readjusting, working full time, taking care of Simon. Um, and I know your mom has been lovely and has been supporting you, but I know it's been tough making that change. But you've been doing it so well and you've been doing it with such grace. And more importantly, you've been doing it with such prayer. I know that you have dedicated yourself to God and that you want to dedicate yourself to raising Simon to love God as well. And you know what, folks? Lily lives in Melton. She she, you know how difficult it is to get a kid like dressed, fed, in the car, <laughs> let alone drive an hour to the city to be here during church service where you have to run around after the kids. It's not like you can like sit down and listen to the sermon and then drive all the way back and make that commitment every week. None of you have excuses. <laughs> That's how dedicated of a mom she is. She does that for herself, but so that her child can learn to love God. And so really, I already know you're dedicated, but today we're making it official. You're making it public between 
all of us, uh, in front of all of us here today. And so I just want to thank your mom for being here and for being such a special part of your lives. And um, we're just so happy to meet you. And um, so this is something that you can both answer to, but I'll address it primarily to Lily. And so um, and after, at the end of this question, you can just raise your hand and say, I do. Okay. So Lily, in bringing Simon for dedication, you're making a symbolic act of faith to express your belief that this child is not yours but God's. Do you now pledge to do all in your power to bring Simon up to know and love Jesus? Yes, I do. Thank you. And now I turn to all of you. As relatives and as friends and as a church community, do you pledge yourself to support Lily in helping Simon to, to know and to love Jesus? We do. Okay, one more time. Okay, God, let's try that again. <laughs> do you pledge to support Lily and help Simon to know and love Jesus? We do. Okay, thank you. <laughs> now, Simon, let's see if he'll continue. Can I come? I'm going to pray for you. Okay, you, you stand here. Can I hold you for a little bit? No. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll just go like this. I'm just going to pray for Simon now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this lovely child that is here with us and that is a blessing to our community and is a blessing to Lily and her mom's life. Father, we want to thank you that he's healthy, that he is who you have created him to be with his unique talents and gifts and personality. And we pray that as he grows, that he would discover the incredible love of God that is present um, in his mom and in the community, but also in you. And that, Father, as a result, he would grow up to be like Simon Peter, a mighty missionary and church leader. And, Father, we ask for blessings on Lily, that when the nights are long and difficult and when the days um, just are taxed with different responsibilities, that you'll give her extra measure of your spirit and your strength and your wisdom. And that you also bless Lily's mom, that as she's... Um, got that special role of grandmother that you would bless her um, and that Simon would, would have that blessing doubled by having such great examples of loving, committed individuals in his life. And Father, we also ask that you would help us as a church community to do everything we can to show love and kindness and your childlike, Christ-like characters um, to Simon and to this family so that they can really... Um, understand and, and experience you in a special way and so we thank you once more that they're here with us and we ask for your blessings on this family we pray in jesus name amen we've got um a gift and a baby certificate